Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Abstract. I'm Dan. I'm Derek. How's it going, Derek? Pretty good. You know, can't complain. I've been um, fall decorating my home. That's been really fun. I went apple picking. I made malt cider. Yeah, I've been busy, actually. <laughs> What's new with you? Going uh, uh, hiking in Utah in a couple days, which should be great. Getting away from the science for a little while. But you have a pretty exciting paper for us today. That's right. We've got a really interesting paper called Placental Endocrine Function Shapes Cerebellar Development and Social Behavior. Big claims. So let's see if it lives up. It was uh, published just a couple of months ago in Nature Neuroscience from a lab at Columbia Medical Center from Anna Penn, who is the chief of neonatology there. And it's a really interesting group. She's coined the field of um, neuroplacentology, which looks at the relationship between the health of the placenta and the fetal brain. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because I am interested in going into OBGYN. So the placenta is an often forgotten organ, probably my favorite organ of all time. So I'm really excited to learn more about it. And a lot of my work has to do with the brain. So this is a perfect paper for us to do. So why don't you break down the title a little bit for us first? So why were they studying the placenta and the brain? It doesn't seem like a necessarily natural connection you might make. It's not necessarily the most obvious thing to study, but I think to put this in context, we have to remember what the placenta is. So the placenta is an organ that grows during pregnancy along with the baby and is the physical connection between the growing baby and the mother. And the placenta really has its work cut out for it. It arranges the exchange of essential gases and nutrients between the mother's blood circulation and the circulation of the growing baby. And given the essential role that the placenta plays in fetal development, it's not a surprise that placental dysfunction has been connected with poor outcomes for the baby. So for example, we learn in med school that inadequate delivery of nutrients through the placenta can lead to babies being born too early or too small. And these are all associated with uh, complications for the baby. The placenta is just such a cool organ. It's essentially the only organ that is really a collaboration between two people, the mother and the fetus. And during fetal development, it's a really, really delicate time. Even tiny you know, injuries or insults can have really profound consequences for the fetus's future. And the placenta is one of the big mediators of that. So it makes sense that the placenta um, might play a role in the development of all different organs in the fetus. The title of this paper specifically is talking about an endocrine function for the placenta. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Endocrine means relating to hormones. And it turns out that in addition to dealing with gas and nutrient exchange, the placenta actually produces a range of important hormones. And some of these are thought to be important in brain development. 
since placental dysfunction has been associated with the development of a range of brain diseases in the newborn. But the exact way that placental dysfunction leads to poor neurodevelopment aren't well understood. And it was because of this that the research team at Columbia thought that disrupted hormone signaling by the placenta could play a role. I see. So they really want to explore the link between placental dysfunction and brain development. And they thought that the placenta's normal role in hormone production might be important. So which hormone did they decide to look at? So they decided to look at a hormone called allopregnanolone, which they abbreviate to allo. And they looked at allo for a couple of reasons. So first, allo production is reduced in a well-known placental disease called preeclampsia. Second, it's also known to signal through a receptor called GABA, which is present on neurons, so likely relevant to the brain. And allo levels are highest in the placenta in the second half of pregnancy, right around the time when problems with the placenta become evident. So it was for these three reasons that they thought that allo might be a good target to look at for the relationship between placental dysfunction and brain development in the newborn. Okay, so allo is already known to be associated with some placental diseases. It definitely affects neurons in the brain, and timing-wise, it does seem to associate with when placental problems begin to start. So that makes sense why they want to explore it, but how exactly did they do that? Their hypothesis was that placental dysfunction causes decreased allo and subsequent neurodevelopmental issues. So the question is how to study this. And they turned to Derek's favorite solution, well-designed mouse model, Ayo. which allowed them to delete allo specifically in the placenta. So this is a really cool approach that uh, you can do with um, mice and other model organisms where you can get rid of a gene at a particular time in a particular tissue. Super powerful. And they spent a lot of time making sure that this mouse model system worked. And as expected, they showed that alloproduction was reduced in the placenta and decreased in the fetal mouse brain, as you would expect if the placenta was making allo normally and providing it to the fetal mouse brain. Okay, so it seems like they were able to successively get rid of allo being produced in the placenta. How did this impact brain development? What they did was they picked a few potentially important regions of the brain in the developing mice and they identified an area of the brain called the cerebellum, which in humans sits at the back of the brain and is involved in a range of tasks. We typically associated it with helping to control motor movement, but recently it's appreciated that it's involved in all sorts of tasks, including cognitive tasks. And this isn't super surprising since even though in humans it's only 10% of brain volume, it has almost half of all neurons in our brain. So it's super densely packed with neurons, unsurprising that it's important. 
A fun fact, cerebellum actually means miniature brain in Latin because it looks like a miniature brain. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you know that, Dan? I did know that. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) What also caught their attention was that this effect of allodeletion was actually different for male and female mice, and this would turn out to be a key observation. So in male mice, the allodeletion increased a substance called myelin in in the mice brain, which helps neurons to communicate, while in female mice offspring, allodeletion was associated with less myelin. So what's really interesting, again, is that even though this um, allo hormone was reduced in both male and female um, fetal mice, it had different effects. So this was super interesting and something that they wanted to pursue. They see these sex-specific differences when they delete aloe. So what? Like, what actual functional consequence does this have? Yeah, so they saw this change in brain structure, and they were curious if they could detect any difference in behavior that uh, came about as a result. And they had a particular hypothesis that the mice might exhibit behaviors that are associated with autism spectrum disorder. Autism is characterized by repetitive and restricted behaviors and difficulty with social communication. And it's actually been associated with alterations in the structure of the cerebellum. And it turns out that the male allodeletion mice are less social in this test and also exhibit more repetitive behaviors no change for female mice. So this is super interesting that in the same pattern where they see male and female brain changes, they also see male-specific increase in behaviors that are associated with autism. It seems like when you get rid of aloe in the placenta, you get changes in the brain structure of both male and female mice, but it seems like only the male mice are really impacted and exhibit different behaviors that we sort of associate with autism spectrum disorder. Is there any way to prevent it then? Like, what if we gave them extra aloe during pregnancy? Right, so in this model, you'd predict that if you gave back aloe that was missing from the placenta, you might be able to reverse the um, brain structure changes and the behavior that resulted from the aloe deletion. And they tried this and it worked. So by giving aloe back to pregnant mice where the aloe had been deleted in the placenta, that supplementation prevented the brain and behavior changes in their offspring, which was pretty amazing. That is really cool. But obviously, mouse pregnancy is a little bit different from human pregnancy. So how can we be really sure that like something similar is affecting humans? Yeah, so this lab at Columbia lived out their MD-PhD dream and did some translational work. So they looked at preterm birth which is associated with placental dysfunction and increased risk of autism, and found similar brain changes to the mouse model. 
suggesting that uh, there's some correspondence because between what they see in the mouse model and what's going on in, in humans. You know, I kind of want to come back to this whole thing about sex differences and that you can get such divergent responses when you delete the exact same hormone. Um, what do you think about that? Like, why is that? I actually found this aspect of the study super interesting. And it's because there's been this longstanding mystery in autism research called the female protective effect. So the idea is that we have known for a long time that autism occurs three to four times more commonly in men than in women. But it's not really clear why. And the general umbrella of the theory that uh, explains this is the female protective effect, that something about um, being female is protective against autism, which is why it occurs at uh, lower rates. And in this study, allo deprivation during pregnancy had sex-specific effects on brain development and on behavioral characteristics of mice after birth, where male mice had more autism-like behaviors. So this feels super relevant for trying to understand the female protective effect, and I'm sure that this group and others will be following this up. This hormone aloe was actually in the news not too long ago, and I know the paper doesn't really talk about it, but why was it such a big deal in the news? So about two years ago, the FDA approved the first drug for the treatment of postpartum depression in moms. And what was particularly interesting is that this drug has its effect within days. Well, most typical antidepressant medications take weeks to work, and the drug they gave is aloe. It's the exact same thing that they were studying here, where here it had an impact on fetal brain development and behavior, but it seems like something in mom, if there's a crash of aloe right after pregnancy, not sure why this happens in some moms and not others, but that this may be associated with um, postpartum depression and a super effective treatment is giving aloe back. So I think there has to be a lot um, more work trying to figure out what the connection is between the effect of aloe and fetal brain development and postpartum depression, whether it's kind of two sides of the same coin or, or, or if these are two separate effects that are going on. Dan, do you think aloe is the new folate? Like, are you going to be recommending that moms take aloe to prevent, you know, potential autism diagnoses for their fetuses in the future? That's a great and important question. Um, and something that I think um, was an important part of this paper was they looked and saw what the effect of um, too much aloe was in the mice. This was actually also associated with change in social behavior in mice, which suggests that maybe too much aloe is also bad. So having too little is bad, where we um, saw that effect when the aloe was deleted, but maybe also having too much is also an issue. So it doesn't seem as clear cut as giving all um, pregnant women aloe, just like we 
um, recommend other prenatal supplementation. Okay, so this paper really just gives us a better understanding of why we might potentially be seeing sex differences in a disorder like autism. Yeah, I think that's right. I think this uh, study shows a molecular link between placental dysfunction and fetal brain development, and then the additional wrinkle of the sex differences in the offspring and how they relate to autism-like behaviors and potentially the female protective effect. So I think it's a really interesting creative paper. doesn't immediately tell us what we should be doing in clinic, but I think it takes a pretty big step and um, is the foundation for lots of other work, I'm sure. Dan, I bet you're just dying to know how like little changes throughout the genome can affect how aloe functions. <laughs> That's right where my mind goes. I just want to do a GWAS and uh, call it a day. <laughs> you're like Oprah. You get a GWAS and you get a GWAS and you get a GWAS. <laughs> Sounds like a great day. Sign me up. I thought this was a super cool paper, you know, and it's like the perfect intersection of like what you do and what I do. So thanks for sharing with us. Thank you, Derek. Talk to you soon. See you next time.